0: If you didn't bring a Bible with you this evening, hold your hand up real high. The ushers have extra Bibles, we'd be glad to let you use one of ours. And let's all go to the book of Acts, the 24th chapter, 24:16. The Spirit of God through Paul, he said, I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense Toward God and toward men. He's talking about his conscience. And he's talking about the condition of his conscience between him and God and the condition of his conscience between him and people. And he said he exercised himself. So this is something he had to do to keep his conscience void of offense. Clear of offense. It's where we come to this. We are familiar with the phrase a clear conscience. In the uh, NIV, he said, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Other translations refer to it as a blameless conscience or a clear conscience. Most folks have not heard enough about the conscience. It's a subject they're ignorant of at great cost to themselves. Let me just give you a brief example of what I'm talking about. You'll hear Christians just all too often, something happened, a problem, sometimes a tragedy, sometimes destruction and loss, and time after time you'll hear believers say, I knew I shouldn't have done that. I knew we shouldn't have gone there. I knew I shouldn't have bought that. I knew I shouldn't have gotten involved in that. Well, here's the question. Do you know the question? (laughs) If you knew you shouldn't have done that, why did you do it? And none of us can throw a rock at the other fellow because every one of us has ignored Something we should have paid attention to. That's right. And one problem is the lack of emphasis on this. We should have learned this from the time we were small children. Our parents should have taught us. We should have learned it in Sunday school. And then growing up in church, we should have been in church. And we should have been hearing these kind of things. We should have been taught to pay attention mm-hmm. right. to our conscience. And keep our conscience clear. And never override it. Yes, right. I said never yes, sir. override your conscience. But that hasn't been taught like it should have been. Needed to be. And a lot of times the reason it wasn't taught is because the ministers didn't realize it themselves. You know you got preachers still putting out fleeces and flipping coins and taking votes. Instead of learning how to be led by the Spirit of God. If the ministers don't know how to be led, well, the congregation's going to be ignorant too. But thank God the Lord is teaching us and helping us. He loves us so much, He's not leaving us in our darkness and ignorance. He's helping us out. And in His light, we see light. And that truth makes us free. Makes us free. The Lord would spare us from all kinds of problems, harm, damage, and loss if we'd just listened to him. Yes, sir. I mean, more than one place in the scriptures, I'm thinking of one, the Lord said through one of the prophets at this time, he said, oh, that my people would have listened to me. How quickly I would have delivered them. And I would have, how quickly I would have defeated their enemies. How quickly I would have fed them with the finest of the wheat. And oil out of the rock. Thank you. you can hear the heart of God going, why would you listen to me? If you just listen to me, I would help you. But people have not been taught. They, uh, folks just live in the flesh entirely and they lean completely to their own understanding and they make the decisions just based on what they see and hear and feel and on reasoning and logic and statistics and price and need and opportunity and all this other kind of stuff and have not been taught or if they were they didn't pay attention to it to be led by the Spirit. Romans 8. Why don't you turn over there and look at this? We've looked at it, but let's uh, let your eyes rest on it. Romans 8:14. Romans 8:14. What does it say? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Are we the sons of God? Yes, we are. Can we be led by the Spirit of God? Absolutely. Should we be led by the Spirit of God? There's a whole bunch of things that will try to lead you that are not the Spirit of God. There's a whole bunch of stuff you can be led by that's not the Spirit of God. There's something I I said it today. Phyllis and I were talking about some stuff. And and there was some, this seemed logical and and this was, you know, reasonable and and this looked okay. But I stopped right in the middle of it and I said, but that's not a leading. That's not a leading. That's not a leading. We talked about last Friday. One witness is not enough. We must have the other witness. And we're talking about that witness being the witness of the Holy Spirit. There's somebody lives in you beside you. There's somebody else in you. And you can learn to pay attention to him and get that second witness with your own spirit. In verse 16, he talks about this in that same 8th chapter of Romans. He said the spirit itself, actually most translations say himself, bears witness with what part of our being? Our not our physical feelings, not our rational mind. He bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He lets us know we are God's children. He lets us know we've been born again. lets us know that God is our very own father and we're his very own child. If he can let you know that, why couldn't he let you know something else? Well, he can. You know, sometimes people get taken aback and they don't like to hear somebody say, well, the Lord told me or uh, God spoke to me about this. And you see people kind of brace up and go, he thinks he's hearing from God. (laughs) See, God told him. And really, some folks say uh, God told them and they never heard from the Lord. Uh, And sometimes language is not accurate. Uh, Instead of saying, God spoke to me, God told me, sometimes it'd be better to say, I had a witness. I had a knowing inside. And that is the Lord communicating to you, but there are different strengths and measures of God speaking to you. There is a measure uh, that the prophet refers to as the word of the Lord came to me saying. That's not a sense. He heard it just like you're hearing me right now. And yet, more than that, he heard it on the inside and the outside. (laughs) There is that strong, definitive word of the Lord coming to you, but uh, that's not usually the way he leads us. Most of the time, he's going to lead us by that inward knowing, that witness of the Spirit, and conscience is the voice of our spirit. And when he speaks to your spirit, then your mind can pick it up from his spirit through your spirit. Through your conscience. For the born again child of God. God will speak to you. And lead you and help you. Through your conscience. Go to Romans the second chapter please. That's why Paul said. All the time I am exercising myself. To make sure and keep my conscience clear. He said I do this all the time. Between me and God. And between me and everybody else. Me and people. I'm always exercising myself, making the effort to see that my conscience is clear and stays clear. In Romans 2, you see how the conscience works. The Spirit of God taught us and revealed to us how the conscience works. This language is very specific. Verse 14 and 15, he's talking about non-Jewish People, Gentiles, who got saved, people who grew up worshiping idols, they were never in the synagogue. They never heard the Ten Commandments. They never heard any of that. And yet when they get saved, they know they're not supposed to lie. And they know they're not supposed to steal. And they know they're not supposed to uh, commit adultery. And they know they're not supposed to bear false witness and all these other things, never having heard it. And so he goes on to say, these Gentiles which have not the law, they're doing by nature, and this is by this inward nature in knowing, the things that are contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves. That's that's King James. But I've noticed this in my own life again and again as I kept walking with the Lord. I'd learn some things and look back sometimes 10, 20, 30 years and go, well, he was leading me in that back there then, and I didn't know that was scripture. I didn't know that's what that meant. But if we'll just follow his leadings. He's the author of the book, and he knows what he meant when he said it. And even when you're totally ignorant of the word on the subject, you can still wind up doing the right thing. And find out later that you did the right thing. (laughs) I mean, 10, 15, 20 years later, you're reading the Bible and go, oh, that's what I was doing. But the reason you were doing it right is because the Spirit of God was in you. And he was letting you know through your conscience. And this is verse 15. This is how it works. It says, they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience bearing witness. And their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. This is how the conscience works. Let me read some of the translations of this. The Young's literal translation. This is the same individual who's author of uh, Young's Concordance. He says they show the, the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience witnessing with them. And between one another, the thoughts accusing or else defending. Uh, easy to read translation. Says they show that in their hearts they know what is right and wrong. The same as the law commands and their consciences agree. Sometimes their thoughts tell them they've done wrong. This makes them guilty. Sometimes their thoughts tell them they've done right. This makes them not guilty. God's Word translation. The God's Word translation says their consciences speak to them. Isn't that good? Yes, sir. Their consciences speak to them and their thoughts accuse them on one occasion and defend them on another. Now you are already familiar with this. You already have a lot of experience with this. You do something, and something in you says, that's not right. And then your head tries to say, well, they did it. (laughs) And your conscience says, yeah, but you know that's not right. How do I know it's not right? Because I just told you. (laughs) Now, maybe years later, you may find the exact verse as to why it's not right, but you got the author of the book, Living in You, 24-7, and he will lead you in line with this book when you don't even know it is this good friends is this minister to you like it's ministering to me mm. and sometimes your head and your previous religiously indoctrinated mind is going oh no no i don't think this is okay and the spirit of god goes this is good this is right and you have to push your head aside because you're conscious, your heart's telling you, no, this is fine, this is good. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but, yeah, but. I know a friend of mine one time came to one of our services, a relative, I should say, and friend. Came to one of our services, sat on the front row, and they hadn't been in our services. They'd been in another persuasion and group all their life. And, and uh, we were having a time in the service, man. I mean, we were, we were laughing and shouting. And they, they'd get caught up in it and start laughing and shouting. And then they'd go... Mm, they put their hand on their mouth because they're in church. <laughs> and they're like, you know, and they'd kind of pull themselves in, and then after a few minutes, they'd forget about it again. They'd join in with everybody else. They must have done that four or five times through <laughs> the service. I'd see them. They'd go, "Oh, hmm." Oh, mm. But if they'd just listened to their conscience, yeah. their conscience would have told them, "Forget that old religious stiffness yeah. and enjoy the Lord." So there are times when your conscience is telling you, no, this is good. And there are other times your conscience is telling you, no, this is wrong. And you need to listen to your conscience. Because your conscience is connected to the Spirit of God who's inside you. The Spirit of God's communicating to you through your spirit. And your conscience is the voice of your spirit. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Go with me, if you would, please, to uh, 1 Corinthians 8, and I get to share with you tonight some things that I learned that i had never seen before till a few weeks ago. I told you about it last week, but we didn't get to it, but we get to get to it right now. Thank you, Master. This is important. Everything is that he says to us, you know, he is uh, every service. You know, the Lord directs us to it, and it's our church, and it's time to be in church. We ought to be there because he's adding something to us. Some things are obvious that we need them, and we think, man, I need this right now. Uh, But some of the things that are the most significant are the things you don't know that you need. Some of the things you may hear and go, oh, okay, all right, glory, I guess. And then a few months later, you're going to find out, wow. This is going to help me through this. And, and so the Lord is giving us something of this every time we come. Amen. He's giving us a significant piece yes. of what we need in him. And it's sad that so many are missing it. And they just got other things to do and other things that's more important to them in their life than church and the things of God and the plan of God. And it's, these things will come up and catch them unprepared and unaware. And it's going to hit them hard. And it's going to be a struggle for them. And they'll go through some things they didn't have to go through. And some of them will go through some terrible times that they didn't even have to go through. But uh, aren't you glad that you're here tonight? Aren't you glad that you're hearing the Word of God? And I uh, uh, said out loud, speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Your servant hears. Your servant hears. Amen. You know, Mary said to the angel, be it unto me according to thy word. And you know, the word literally became flesh in her. Glory Glory to God. God. And was miraculously born out in this world where you could see it and touch it and hear it. Thank you, Lord. In 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, we need to read A few verses on this, and I want us to read this in the Amplified. 1 Corinthians 8, and uh, verse one in the Amplified. Now about food offered to idols. Now I want you to notice. We'll come back to this. They obviously these there's a church at Corinth, and just like our church here at Branson, there's a bunch of believers. And uh, they had some real hot-button issues that they sent word to Paul and said, Is this okay? Is this right? Is this wrong? Should we do this? Should we not do this? And he's answering some of these in this letter. Uh, The Holy Spirit, through him, is answering their questions and telling them what to do and how to do. And one of the big questions they had was about food offered to idols. Now, idolatry was rampant in Corinth. And a lot of these folks that in the church, they came out of idolatry. That's what they were doing before they got saved. They were worshiping Diana, they were worshiping this, they were worshiping that, they were worshiping sun, moon, and stars, and all kind of stuff. Idolatry. And they were offering sacrifices to these false gods, these demons, these everything else. And then they were having these meals and these uh, debauchery, so-called fellowship and worship. And now they're saying, you know, a lot of the food that's around here has been involved in these uh, idolatrous ceremonies. And some people say it's okay to eat it. And other people say, no, don't you dare eat that. That food that was involved in that idolatrous ritual. Mm-hmm. Demons involved in that stuff. Don't you put that stuff in your mouth. And there were, there were different camps yeah. Yeah. in the church. And so they said well, we got to ask Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's right. He said now about food offered to idols. Of course we know that all of us possess knowledge. I'm not going to read everything that's in italics or brackets because that's added. He went on to say, knowledge causes people to be puffed up, but love edifies and builds up and encourages one to grow up. Uh, verse 2, if anyone imagines he's come to know and understand much, he does not yet perceive and recognize and understand he's not become intimately acquainted with anything as he ought to. If you think you know something, you don't know anything like you ought to. He said. Verse 3 If anyone loves God, he's known of God. He's saying, Who you love is more important than what you think you know. Because they're saying, We're enlightened. And we know that these idols are nothing. And it doesn't make any difference if this was offered to that or offered to this. What they call in the gods, not even a god. It doesn't matter. I don't know why these folks are hollering and cutting up about it. They need to be enlightened like us. we got knowledge. We're the enlightened ones. We are the word people. We know some stuff. He said, you don't know anything like you ought to know it yet. He said, what's important is that you love God. You love God, and he knows you. But there had never been a case of somebody who knew so much that it got God's attention. And he said, wow, now that guy's smart. His knowledge impresses me. (laughs) You know what most of our stuff is like? It's like where you're two-year-old colored. And just took the crayon and did this, you know. And then brought it, showed it to you. And you went, oh, baby, that's pretty. Oh, that's pretty. You did such a good job. And they just stood there looking at you. That's our doctoral dissertations. God goes, oh, baby, that's pretty. That's, yeah. Pat you on the head. Everybody that's in heaven are looking at you going, boy, they got a long ways to go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but God's so kind and good. He won't show you how far. He, he won't show you everything at once. You know? He'll show you something. And you go, ooh, I gotta change that. I gotta grow up in that. He'll go, Yep. So you grow up in it, and you'll make changes and you'll make some great strides. You go, glory to God. I guess I'm about there now. He goes, well, no, there, there's another thing that we need to show you. And that's good, baby. That's good. Now, you're doing good. But, you know, while you're working on it, let's go ahead and work on this over here, too. And so then after 20 years, you've got, you know, 195 things done. You go, man, I must be closing in. He goes, baby, you're doing great, you know. But but there's another thing that we need, we need to look at. What he's not telling you is there's hundred and five thousand other things. <laughs> and he don't want you discouraged. He wants you encouraged. <laughs> Keep reading. Verse four. In this matter of eating food offered to idols, we know an idol is nothing. And there is no God but one. Verse five. Although there may be so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many of them, both gods and lords and masters, that is, so-called. Verse 6, but for us there is only one God, the Father, who is the source of all things, and for whom we have one Lord, Jesus Christ. Through and by whom are all things and through and by whom we exist. Yes. Glory, Glory to God. There are no other gods. That's right. so you need to show respect for other people's beliefs. No, no I don't. Right. No, I don't. That's helping them remain in their illusion. That's right. That's right. No. There are no other gods. That's right. That's right. People say, well, you know, billions of people can't be wrong. Oh, yes, they can. Right. Oh, Yeah. yeah. The Bible said, straight and narrow is the way and few that find it. And the way that leads to destruction is broad. And there's many going down a path of destruction. Many. Verse 7. Nevertheless, he said, not all possess this knowledge. What knowledge? That there is just one God. He said not everybody has got this. And he's talking about not everybody in your church. Not not everybody, not all the saints at Corinth got what I just told you. But some, through being all their lives till now accustomed to thinking of idols as real and living, they still consider that food offered to an idol as something sacrificed to an actual God. Because they have grown up with this all their life. Their parents worshipped Diana, worshipped Baal, worshipped this, worshipped, and they've done this all their life. And so when they're around this, they are still getting their mind renewed that that's not a God. When you've been indoctrinated in something for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you may not get your thinking straight in the first three days. You you keep wanting to come back to that because you were trained in that. I mean, from the time you are old enough to think. You were told this. You saw mom and daddy do this all your life long. That's what you've done all your married life. Now you're 50, 60, 70 years old, whatever the case is. And you just found out that there are no gods at all. <laughs> and there's only one God. And uh, since they still have that in their thinking, their weak consciences become defiled and injured if they eat it. I want you to see a great truth here, saints. They wrote and asked Paul about, is this right or is this wrong? And the Spirit of God through him wrote back and talked to him about their conscience instead of just hard and fast, black and white, right, and wrong, good, and evil. He wrote back and talked to them about their conscience. God. Why? Because what is sin? Oh, friend, this will change your life if you'll get a hold of this. We've already been through this, haven't we? What is sin? Sin is violation of light. And where there is no light or knowledge... Of the truth or the law as Romans says. There is no transgression. Right. How can you transgress light you didn't have? That's right. How can you violate something you didn't know? Or see? And God is so kind and gracious. If you don't see it and know it. Even if you're violating it. He won't impute sin to you over it. Now it can still cost you and cause you some problems. But God's not holding it against you as sin. Or that you have to deal with it as sin. Remember what James says? To him that knows to do good. And does it not what? To him. It's sin. Why? Why is, why did he say to him it's sin? Why not? Why did not just sin sin? Well it's right or it's wrong. Why didn't he just say that? Why didn't he just say it's right to do this or it's wrong to do this? Next chapter. No. He told them the truth. He said, there are no gods. All these idols and all that stuff, they're not a god. They're nothing. They're nobody. He said, but not all of your people know this. Not everybody has got this straight yet. Not everybody has got their mind renewed and clear on this. And as a result, if they Eat this food offered to idols, put that last verse up again, what's gonna to happen to them? Their weak consciences are gonna become defiled and they're gonna be injured. They're gonna be hurt. What is a weak conscience? This is the thing I'd never seen before. I asked the Lord when we started this series. I said, Lord, I don't understand this. What what exactly is it? What is a weak conscience? Maybe I, I, You know, some reasoning things, but that's not good enough. You need to hear from him. Yeah. Exactly. What is it, Lord? And I saw it last week. He showed it to me. He said a weak conscience, among other things, is a conscience that is easily overridden. Oh, well, true. Does that bear witness with you? Yes. A conscience that's easily overridden, and that's what's happening here. Keep reading, you'll see it. Verse 8. Food itself will not cause our acceptance by God or commend us to him. Eating gives us no advantage, neither do we come short or become any worse if we don't eat it. Because their big question was, do we eat it or do we don't don't eat it? We eat it or don't eat it? We need the word. You had camps that formed up in the church. It was the eat group and the don't eat group. And they figured we're going to get Paul to come down on this thing and tell us and then we'll solve this once and for all. But he didn't. That's not what he did. He didn't. He didn't say the uh, the eat group is right and the don't eat group is wrong. Next chapter. He didn't do that. What did he talk to him about? Because what is sin? Sin is violation of what you know, violation of what you're aware of, violation of what you see. Are we all at the same place in what we see and what we know, what we understand, which is one big reason why the Lord commanded us not to judge each other. The number one reason, I should say number two, number one reason not to judge is because he told you not to. (laughs) But after that is because we're not qualified to judge because I don't know your heart. I don't know what you really see and what you really know. And God's dealing with you and with me according to what he knows we know. If we really are ignorant of it, he knows that. If we really had not seen it yet, he knows that. So you don't judge another person by the light you have. God's not going to judge them by your light. He's not going to deal with them by your light. He's going to deal with them according to the light he knows they have. Go, next verse be careful that this power of choice this liberty to do as you please which is yours now what does that mean to just say pass the plate give me some of that roast what do I care about Diana is Diana, nothing pass the steak because we're free God has set us free we're redeemed I'm free this don't mean one thing to me Give me that turkey leg. I said, this turkey was was killed and prepared in the Baal Festival. Said, what do I care? Pass the turkey. We're free. We're free. <laughs> Are you reading though now? He said, you need to watch that this liberty you got does not become a hindrance or cause of stumbling to the weak. And overscrupulous, giving them an impulse to sin. Keep reading, verse ten. Suppose someone sees you, a man having knowledge. Now, what? What do you say? Knowledge puffs up. You're enlightened. You know stuff. And you sitting at the table in the idol's temple, because you've been redeemed, and they got good food over here. Food's a lot better here than it is over at the the other place. Diana, Baal, who are they? They're nothing. There's only one God. Give me some of that special. You're reclining at table in the idol's temple. And he said, if, if one of these, somebody sees you in the idol's temple. Do you know there's some places that it's okay for you to go? But you ought not go. In case somebody sees you that doesn't have knowledge and understanding, you might say, Well that cramp's my style, I know. (laughs) Welcome to the ministry. But if he sees you, he could be encouraged and emboldened to to do what? To do what? To do what? To violate his conscience. What is a weak conscience? Easily overridden conscience. Do you reckon a lot of people have weak consciences? Oh, they do. He might be emboldened to violate his own conscientious scruples or his conscience. And if he's weak and uncertain and eat, what to him is for the purpose of idol worship. Verse 11. And so by your enlightenment, remember, knowledge puffs up, he said. But love builds up. He said you need to not be focusing so much on what you know in your enlightenment. You need to be focusing more on love. What's going to help your brother? And see to it you don't do anything to hurt your brother. He said if you do this by your enlightenment this weak man is ruined. The brother for whom Christ died. Verse 12. And when you sin against your brethren in this way, wounding and damaging what? Their weak conscience. He said, you do this, you're sinning against Christ. Why? Because that brother, as weak and ignorant as he may be, he's a part of Christ. Verse 13. Therefore, if my eating food like this is a cause of my brother's falling or hindering his spiritual advancement, I'll not eat such flesh forever lest I cause my brother to be tripped up and fall and be offended. You think Paul's conscience would have bothered him if after having a big meal of turkey, he found out it had been sacrificed in a Diana uh, temple ritual? No. No. Because he knows. But he's saying, I'm not going to do that in front of my brother or around my brother or where my brother could see or know this if it's going to hurt him and bother him. I'm going to change what I'm doing here for his sake. For conscience sake. This is how important conscience is. Is that all of it? Then we need to go to the 10th chapter then. Thank you Lord. 10.23 All things are lawful for me. For who? He's saying me. He said I've been set free. This stuff doesn't bother me. But all things are not expedient and beneficial. It may be okay for me to do some stuff, a lot of things, but not all those things would be profitable for me to do. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Some things that might be okay for me to do, but not necessarily build somebody else up and help them. So it's not all just depending on whether it's okay or not. How it impacts other people matters. Doesn't it? And that comes back to love, doesn't it? Because I don't want to do anything that would hurt them or trip them up or cause them a problem. That's love, isn't it? Love is willing to sacrifice if it'll help you. To be inconvenienced if it will keep you from being hurt. That's the love of God. Verse 24. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth is added there. Verse 25, Whatever sold in the shambles, now that's in the marketplace. You go out, you know, your wife goes out. This was the grocery store of the day. And, you know, they didn't have refrigeration, and so all the meat is fresh, only lasts for a short amount of time. And you got some beef over here, and you got some... Chicken or some turkey or lamb or whatever it is over here. But everybody knew in Corinth that a lot of this meat comes from the idol worshipers. And that they sacrificed these animals to their gods in their worship. Everybody in town knows that. And so you're going through the marketplace and there's a good looking cut of meat or this and that. And you don't know where it came from. But it likely came from. The idol temple. But what's the rest of it say? Don't ask any questions. (laughs) Don't ask any questions. About where it came from. This is revelation. Isn't it? There's some things. You ought not bring up. There's some questions. You ought not ask. And some things you ought not get into. Because the end of it will only be somebody's conscience bothered and hurt. He said, don't ask any question. Why? For conscience sake. I'm excited about this tonight. Because this is not just milk. This is not just milk. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you. Twenty six. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I don't care who said mumbo jumbo over it or what they did or what little dance they did. It was the Lord's when they got it and it's still the Lord's now. Whether they're ignorant or not. He said, It's the Lord's. It's the Lord. Earth is the Lord's. So all the wheat and all the beef and all the corn and all the maters and all the taters is the Lord's. There's some folk who won't acknowledge it. It's still true anyhow. Earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Keep going. If any of them that believe not bid you to go to a feast and you be disposed to go. Whatever's set before you eat and ask no questions. Well, you know, a lot of folks ought to practice that right there. you got all kind of believers today. I mean, they come and they're a guest somewhere. And it's not time to do anything out of the way. And they'll sit there and they go, is it organic? <laughs> is, is it this? Is it that? Is it kosher? Is it da-da-da? Is it a- <laughs> Ask no questions. Just go on and sanctify with the word of God and prayer and say, thank you very much. Look at your neighbor and say, ask no questions. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why? For conscience sake. A lot of folks, I don't know that they realize it or not, but they're just acting rude. You know, when you're a guest of someone's, and they've gone to effort and expense to host you and minister to you, don't be rude. If you don't like it, if you can't stand it, eat it. (laughs) Smile. Show some strength. Or at least push it around some, <laughs> right? And just smile and say thank you for having me, right? And but don't sit there and go, "What is this? Is this search and search?" Is it? Ask no questions. Don't ask. Don't ask any questions for conscience' sake. Keep reading. Verse 28. And if somebody at the table says to you. They lean over and go. Paul. This was offered to idols man. Come on now. You got. It looks like. Grade A prime rib. Prepared perfectly. In front of you. And you hungry. And the guy leans over and goes. Man they got this out of that. Diana goddess house hey, what do you do you go okay alright you slide the plate out of the way huh yes read the verse eat not getting looks all across the people are going oh, people are. <laughs> are you looking in your book are you looking in your Bible Somebody leans over to you and goes, this was offered to idols, man. You go, okay, all right. And don't eat it. For whose sake? Now, this is not necessarily just a situation uh, where you're a guest at somebody's house and they're feeding you. This is, uh, what did he start off saying? What did he call it? A feast. A feast. It could be a lot of people there, but you're there with other believers, and the believers are, you know, Paul has preached strong to them that the gods that are made with hands are no gods, and that you're, and in other places, he told them, you can't have fellowship with demons and fellowship with the Lord. You don't need to be involved in these idle worship times and services. You need to make a total break from that stuff. And so here he is visiting in town at Corinth. And he's sitting there. And they bring out all this food. And some of the guys look at him and go, Paul, this was in that idol sacrifice. This food was. He said, don't eat it. For his sake that showed it to you. And for conscience sake. Everybody say conscience Conscience. sake. How many times have we seen that phrase? For conscience sake. This shows us how important the conscience is, don't it? It is so important that you and your brothers and your young ones and the people that think they know a lot and the people that don't know too much, that everybody keeps their conscience clear. And we're to help each other with this, keeping our conscience clear. He said, don't eat it. For his sake that showed it to you. For conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. We know that this idol is no God. There's really nothing to it. But verse 29. Conscience I'm talking about. Not your conscience. But the other guy's conscience. For why is my liberty judged. Of somebody else's conscience. I'm not supposed to live. Completely. By what your conscience tells you. But when I'm with you and around you, I don't need to do anything that would cause you to override your conscience. Glory to God. Verse 30. For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks? Keep going. Whether therefore you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And how many think or know that if you're in that kind of situation the Holy Ghost would know if this is a critical issue for that brother or sister and if this is going to hurt their conscience he would let you know that. Wouldn't he? And then in this case you don't need to override your conscience by doing something that you may know is okay but you know it's going to hurt their conscience. Let me try to Take the scenario another way. The guy leans over and goes, mm, "Paul, don't eat this, man. This is uh, this is idle food." And Paul said, "An idle is nothing, man. Eat your steak." And this is this is his man of God, right? And they're at table with other people, so he looks at him and goes, "Oh, okay, okay, all right." Give me the steak and, and he might even really get into it. Give me another one, you know. But he goes home and his heart's bothering him. Because he didn't think it was right. And he didn't feel right about doing it. And when you got a wounded conscience, you got a big problem. Because God talks to you through your conscience. Come on, are you listening to me? And you start overriding your conscience and you keep doing it. That's how a conscience can get seared. That's why Paul gives them, you know, they ask him a question. It's a simple question. Do we eat it? Do we not eat it? But the answer is not quite as black and white, is it? They ask him, do we eat it? Do we don't eat it? And he talks to them for the whole 8th chapter and into the ninth chapter and part of the 10th chapter about conscience, conscience, for conscience sake, for conscience sake, for conscience sake, conscience, conscience, conscience. Go with me, if you would, to First Kings. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to get this out. I'm so thankful, Lord. Is your conscience important? What's a weak conscience? A conscience that's easily overridden. What would a strong conscience be? Give me an example of a strong conscience. Somebody else tries to tell you it's okay. If your conscience is strong, can they talk you into it? Uh Uh-uh. If your conscience is strong, you're not going to override it. And you're not going to let anybody else cause you to override it. Because you know what you know. And you know what you see. And the light you have. And maybe you might learn some more about it tomorrow or next week. But you can't do it right now. Or you got to do it this way because that's what you see and know. And if your conscience is strong, you're not going to override it. But before we go to that, go to uh, Romans Romans 14. He's talking about this. Verse 22. And let's look at this in the Amplified as well. He said, your personal convictions on such matters, he was talking about, exercise them in God's presence, keeping them to yourself. Don't try to push what you see off. whenever If they don't see it, they don't see it. And blessed is he who has no reason to judge himself for what he approves. He does not convict himself by what he chooses to do. Verse 23. But the man who has doubts. He's got an uneasy conscience about eating. And then he eats. Perhaps because of you. He stands condemned. I, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say before God. That's in italics. That's not in there. It's not God condemning him. It's his own heart condemning him. But it's still condemnation. And the effects are the same. Because he's not true to his convictions. And he does not act from faith. For whatever does not originate and proceed from faith is sin. Whatever's done without a conviction of its approval by God is sinful. If you think it's wrong and you go on and do it anyway, to you... It is sin, regardless what anybody else thinks, because God doesn't look after the outward appearance. He looks at the heart, and he knows what you believe, doesn't he? Yeah. And he knows if you're violating light you have or not. Is this a sin, or is it not a sin? So-and-so thinks it's okay to do it, but this people don't think it's okay. Uh, it's a gray area. There's no such thing as a gray area. That's right. <laughs> If you don't have confidence that it's okay for you to do it. If you go ahead and override your conscience. You sinned. You missed it. Because sin is violation of light. Let's talk some about a strong conscience. First Kings. I hear some wheels turning now. That's good. It's not complicated. Don't think it is. It's very, very simple. Do what you know. That's it. What you see, be honest about what you see and what you know. And don't let anybody cause you to override that. Don't let anybody talk you out of what you know on the inside. Yeah, but they're a prophet. Yeah, but they're an apostle. Don't let anybody. Are y'all with me, saints? Don't let, I don't care if it's me. Don't let anybody cause you to ignore and override what you believe is right inside you. Ever. Never. Because you are not just by yourself. The Holy Spirit's in you. If you're a child of God, you're born again. He's in you. So you're not just dependent on anybody else to tell you what's right and wrong. He lets you know. If I tell you something that's right, the spirit in me is the same one in you. And if if it is him telling you it's right inside you, he'll go. "That's That's right. You'll know it. You'll have that witness. And if you don't have that witness, I don't care who they're supposed to be or how much they're supposed to know or how blessed or anointed of God they're supposed to be. Don't let anybody ever. Cause you to ignore and override your conscience. I'm not talking about being hard-headed now. And just in yourself. I'm I'm not talking about what you think and my way and my opinion. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what you got inside. Your conscience. Your heart. 1 Kings 13. Did you find it? We're taking a little time tonight, but I believe it's time well spent. Very, very important. 1 Kings 13. We're going to read several verses. 1 Kings 13. There came a man of God, verse 1, out of Judah, by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, and Jeroboam uh, stood by the altar to burn incense. And he, this man of God, this prophet, he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord. This is not just him doing this. This is the Spirit of God on him and through him. And he said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon you he will offer the priest of the high places that burn incense upon you, and men's bones will be burnt upon you. And he gave a sign that same day, and he said, this is the sign the Lord spoke, and behold, the altar will be rent or ripped or torn, and the ashes that are on it will be poured out. Now this is big time bold. He's saying this regime that's in here right now is evil and the priests are evil and doing evil thing. He comes right out in front of the king. The king is here doing his thing at the altar. And the man of God comes up and says, God says I'm raising somebody up and he's going to come and he's going to wipe you out. And these evil priests, he's going to burn their bones on this altar that you're here right with right now. Well, the king, uh, Jeroboam, put forth his hand and he said, get him. Get a hold of him. They're going to kill him right now. Lay hold on him. And his hand, the king, the hand that he put forth to point, it dried up right there on the spot. The king's hand dried up. <laughs> and he couldn't even pull it back. He just had to leave it out here, dried up with it up, withered it up. You know, it doesn't pay to smart mouth God's man. See, he's not just saying, get a hold of him. Because that wasn't just that prophet saying that. God sent that man there and God spoke those things through him. And so he's up in God's face going, and it just draws right up. Don't you know his tune changed radically (laughs) in a moment of time? He's going... (laughs) My hand, my arm, and he. At the same time, the altar was ripped and the ashes poured out according to the sign the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Just what he said happened right in front of him. Supernatural. This altar's made out of rocks. And the rocks just were ripped and torn. And the ashes fell out. And everybody went, ooh. (laughs) You could have heard a pin drop in that place. King's arms dried up. Altars ripped apart. Everybody's going. Whoa. And the king said. To the man of God. Would you pray for me? Just a minute ago he's killing. him. Would you pray for me? That my hand could be restored to me. And the man of God besought the Lord. That's mercy isn't it? He said God would you heal this man? And the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. It just filled back out. was normal and healthy. And the king came to the man of God and he said, Would you come home with me and eat with me? I'll give you some money. The man of God said, I don't care if you give me half of everything you got. I am not going with you and I will not eat with you. Or drink water in this place. No. Because. It was charged me. By the word of the Lord. Now he didn't say I had a witness. He didn't say. It seemed like I ought not eat over here. What did he say? It's the same word of the Lord. That just spoke through me about this. This altar. The word of the Lord. It was charged me. It's a strong word isn't it? Charged me. And said you eat no bread. You drink no water. And you don't even go back home the same road you came on. He, he wants him to make a statement. And not touch anything that's there. He's not going to I mean the king's wanting him now to be buddy buddy. This is a powerful demonstration of the almighty. And now the very man that's wanting to kill him. I mean the, in days the whole nation's going to hear about this. This is a spectacular demonstration of the power of God. And now everybody wants to be on bandwagon. That's right. It was killing a few minutes ago. Now it's, would you come home with me? We will feed you so good. I will give you money. I'd like to have a little get together. And why? Why? So that he can take of the glory of this spectacular event. And you can begin to see why the Lord told him, no, don't you go with him, don't you eat a meal with anybody, don't you even drink any water over there. You get your little self back to the house, you don't even go the same road you came in on. It was charged him. So verse 10, so he went another way. And return not by the way that he came to Bethel. He's doing what the Lord told him to do. And how many know it took courage to look in the face of the king? Yes. And say, no, I'm not going to eat with you. No. And no, I'm not going to your house. So he's he's being obedient. He didn't drink anything. Didn't eat anything. He's probably hungry and tired. You know, he had to travel to get there. It's been a long day. and You know, big showdown at the altar and everything. But he's, <laughs> he's going back hungry and dry. And long ways to get home. And verse 11, there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel. His sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. Now, this man is just barely out of town, and these guys are already finding out about what happened. I mean, this is, this is big news. And he, they told him the words. he spoken to the king. They told him the whole deal, what happened. And their father said, which way did he go? And his sons, they had seen which way he went. And he said to his sons, get the donkey. And they saddled him up, and he he rode there on, and he said, let the hammer down, let this donkey go. And they they caught up and found the man of God sitting under an oak. And he said, are you the man of God that came from Judah? The one that came, told the king where to get off, and ripped the (laughs) altar apart. You that man? And he said, I am. Verse 15, he said, come home with me and eat bread. Now you watch this. The Lord tell you don't do something? Don't do it. No. Watch how many people will come and ask you to do it. He probably hasn't had so many invitations to dinner in the last six years. The king, he just got through saying, please come, please come eat with me. Please come eat with me. This guy shows up. First thing he wants to say. Are you that man? Yeah. Come eat with me. Come eat with him. Why come eat with you? Come eat. Verse 16 he said. I may not return with you. Neither go in with you. Neither will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. Was he clear? Yep. Yes. Yep. Was he clear? Yep. This is the second time. He has said exactly the same thing. He said the Lord charged me. Mm-hmm. And to be that bold in front of the king. You know he must have been pretty clear about it. Yeah. Yeah. And now here's just a. Older prophet come by. He said no. I can't eat here. I can't drink here. The Lord charged me. And uh, verse 18, he said, uh, I am a prophet also as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord and said, Bring him back to you to your house that he may eat some bread and drink some water. This is a preacher, a minister, a prophet. And now let's just step right here. Some say, well, he wasn't really a prophet. Yeah, actually he was. If the Bible said he was an old prophet, he was. And later on, you see that the actual word of the Lord came to him and through him. In just a few verses here, he really was a prophet. But he's also a man. And the Bible said he lied to him. He just made up this story about seeing an angel. Don't that just be it all? I know I'm taking a little time. Do you have the time for us to finish this? He lied to him. Somebody say he lied, him. he lied to him. Yeah, but he's a prophet. Yeah, but he lied to him. Yeah, but he's been used of God before. Yeah, but he lied to him. Yeah, but God really had called this man and anointed him and used him. Yeah, but he still lied to him. He invented this story. Do you know why I'm talking to you about this? Do you? What's a weak conscience? Anybody know what a weak conscience is? An easily overridden conscience. What's a strong conscience? A strong conscience is one that is not overridden. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you saw. I don't care what you heard. I'm not overriding my conscience for you. Yeah, but I'm a prophet. Okay. Okay. That don't mean I'm overriding my conscience. Yeah, but I saw an angel, and the angel told me to tell you to override uh, your conscience. (laughs) No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He didn't tell you that. How many of know that's what this man should have said? He should have said, well, I know what God told me. How can both of these be right? He told me, don't do this. But verse nineteen, I want you to read it. Do you see what it says? What happened? He went back with him and did exactly the very thing the Lord commanded him not to do. Ate bread at his house, and drank water at his house. And he not through with the meal, sitting at the table, when the word of the Lord came to the old prophet that had lied to him and brought him back. Do you know it's possible for people to yield to the devil in the morning and yield to the Lord in the afternoon? See, folks think, well, I don't think so. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Peter. Remember Peter? Yeah. Jesus said, whom do men say that I have the Son of Man? am?" He said, you the Christ. You're the Son of God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My Father in heaven. So as he yielded to God, as he gets something straight from God, And I mean it's not very missing a few verses later that the Lord says, In a few days I'm gonna go up and be mocked and scourged and crucified. And Peter took him aside and said, No way, Lord, no, no, that's not right now. That's not supposed to happen to you. And Jesus wheeled around and said, Get behind me, Satan. Same Peter. Just a few verses apart. So the word of the Lord genuinely actually came to this prophet that just lied. A lying prophet. Now gets a real word from God. I said, "Boy, it seems confusing to me." No, it's simple. It's simple, simple, simple. Follow your heart. Don't let anybody, for any reason, cause you to override your conscience. It's simple. Don't care who they are. It came to pass. The word came, he cried to the man of God and he said, thus says the Lord, for as much as you have disobeyed the mouth of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you did come back and you ate bread and you drank water in the place the Lord did tell you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your carcass shall not come to the sepulchre of your fathers. Well, now that could mean a bunch of things. That could mean you live another 50 years, but when you're buried, you're not going to be buried in the family cemetery. But that ain't what it meant. It came to pass after he had eaten bread, after he had drunk, he saddled for him the donkey. Well, yeah, he's trying to be nice now. And he goes, Well, here, you know, take my donkey. And the Lord look at him and go, You lying, rascal. But whose fault was it? Yes. Whose fault was it? She says, Man, they, they told me a lie and they talked me into something bad, messed up my life. It's your fault for listening to him. Your fault. When he was gone, a lion met him by the way. And slew him. I mean he ain't got out uh, from the house a little ways. He's riding the donkey going to the house. Here comes a lion. (sighs) Grabs him. Kills him. Boom. And the donkey. His carcass was there in the road. And the donkey just stood by his body. And the lion stood on the other side of his body. This is strange. And the man passed by and saw his body in the way. And the lion just standing right there by the body. And they came and told in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard it, he said, it's the man of God that was disobedient to the word of the Lord. Yeah, I knew it. He was disobedient to God. Because you lied to him. (laughs) Not really. Let's go over this again. Was he disobedient because the man lied to him? No. Who's responsible for his disobedience? Because he did not have to listen to that man. Right? He could have followed his own conscience. He could have stayed with what he knew. Couldn't he? So it's entirely his fault. Therefore, he said, it's that man that was disobedient to God. And so the Lord gave him to the lion and that lion tore him up. And now he's dead. According to the word of the Lord that I spoke to him. You know, spirit of God, come on me. Let's back up a little bit. Why did he rush after him and try to find him? Why did he so bad want him to come back to his house? Because he wants to try to relive some of his glory days. He wants to to try to get this fellow's light. He is the star in the country right now. He's the man of God with the power. And he wants to be associated with that. And he don't have much going on himself. So he wants to steal some of his thunder and get some of his glory. And so he made up this goofy story about an angel and lied to the man trying to get some of his fame and glory for himself what would protect you from all such stuff don't override your conscience have a strong conscience that nobody can make you ignore or override so he went and found him He said saddle me the donkey and so they did and he went and found him and there was the lion and the donkey standing by. The lion had not eaten the carcass and the lion did not attack the donkey. This is strange. The donkey is standing this far from the lion and the prophet's body is right there. Well you know most times lions kill something because they want to eat and he's just standing there looking at it. Donkey's looking at the lion. Lion's looking at the donkey. They're looking at the body and they just stand there all day long. Why? This is a sign. It's a sign. And so he uh, he got the body and he took him back and uh, put him in his own grave. Don't you know he felt guilty about this deal? And he mourned and said, oh, my brother, my brother, my brother. And he said, when I'm dead, bury me in that sepulchre with the man of God, because his words are going to come to pass and. I bet you if the other prophet had anything to say about it, he'd say, do not put that lying rascal in here (laughs) with me. (laughs) But he didn't. (laughs) Stand up on your feet. What is the thought, my brothers and sisters? What's the Spirit of God saying to us? Anybody know? Don't ignore. Don't override your conscience. Close your eyes and look to the Lord. Just lift up your heart toward him. Let me lead you in this prayer. Say, Father God, thank you for teaching me the truth of your word. It is marvelous to me. I esteem your words more than my necessary food. Forgive me, Forgive me for ever ignoring my, forever ignoring my conscience or allowing somebody to talk me into, talk me overriding, overriding what you showed, me what you, showed me, what you me, what you told me. Help me to become strong, become strong, very, strong. very strong. Strengthen me with strength, power, me with strength. power and might power and by your spirit. In my inner man, I purpose to pay attention to what you give me through my conscience and heed it, not ignore it, not override it, not allow anybody to cause me to override what you say. Thank you, Lord.